you know, the first few times you meet somebody, you don't know everything about them. And the cool thing about friendships is, is over time you get to know things. And sometimes you find some about some like weird stuff about people or like, this is kind of unusual. I didn't know this about you. And if you're in a relationship or in a marriage or in a friendship that lasts a while, you, you eventually learn some unusual things about them. So for example, in my own life, some of you know this, a lot of you probably don't. Just a few examples, three. Uh, first one is that I am red, green, colorblind. So I don't see any of the, the uh, numbers in this chart here. Another thing is my sister was once kidnapped by this serial killer. And she escaped and survived. Here's another uh, interesting fact is I have never in my life seen the movie Elf. Never seen it. So there you know something unusual about me. Um, I, I want to ask you, some of you, uh, is this your first time uh, joining us for Valley Church? And if it is, um, it's going to strike you as being a little unusual. All right, you're going to dive in to, to some stuff that's some kind of an unusual imagery and symbolism. We're going to be talking about dragons. We're going to be talking about beasts. We're going to be talking about this beast over here and this beast over here. So guys, just if this is your first time, we're not weird, okay? We're just going to dive right into this. But it's kind of like this. Um, I, I've been to lots of church buildings all over the world, but my absolutely favorite, most beautiful church building in the world is a small chapel in Paris called St or Saint-Chapelle, all right? Here it is. Absolutely spectacular, beautiful stained glass, just amazing. And then if you go closer, there's this rose window, this huge round rose window, and it tells the story of the entire book of Revelation in these stained glass images. But if you zoom in real close on one of them, it's this image. It's the image of this, this beast that has these, all these heads and faces and, and horns and everything. You can see it. It's really kind of creepy and kind of unusual. And believe it or not, this is the passage we're at today. All right? So we go to, from this beautiful and all this scene to this very unusual passage, Revelation chapter 13. The story of the Bible is beautiful. Like that, the, all those stained glass imagery. And there are some unusual unusual pains in the window. And this is one of them. But at Valley Church, we have tackled the book of Revelation because we think it's important for the people of God to hear all the whole counsel and plan of God. And we've loved going through this book together. So I'm glad that you've joined us today, whether it's your first time or you've been here forever, okay? Um, today, the focus of our passage in the book of Revelation is that we face challenges, guys, um, in living out our faith in our culture, in our society. And to survive and to thrive and to do well in a culture that often does not reinforce, in fact, counteracts our values and our faith, we need to become what I call faith strong. Strong in our faith, all right? People get strong in all kinds of areas of their lives. They get, they get physically fit. They get physically strong. They get mentally strong. They go to school. They get educated. They, they, they learn business strategies, and they get business strong. They get career strong. They get IT strong or computer strong or tech strong or whatever it might be. But they get strong in all these areas, gardening, whatever. But here I want to talk to you today about being faith strong, really having a strong faith that can go the distance and can take some shots and come out on the other side whole and holy in Christ. 
Today is the day we learn the importance of becoming faith strong. So last weekend we looked at Revelation chapter 12 and it's the theological center of the book of Revelation and it's this epic imagery symbolism of the uh, cosmic battle between good and evil, between God who reigns and Satan who is trying to undermine everything. And we had these, vis- these images of a dragon in the skies which was symbolizing Satan and the woman who was uh, symbolizing Israel or Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then the child Jesus. And the dragon's trying to devour the child and we get this incredible conflict. And it was all about this raging battle. And it was all being played out on this kind of IMAX imagery in the skies. And it was powerful. Well, today, that kind of cosmic battle gets brought right down to earth in even more incredible symbolism. So come with me. Revelation 13, the battle comes down to earth, and the images that we're going to come to today are that same dragon, Satan, and then there's a beast that comes out of the sea, like a monster that comes out of the sea, and then a beast that comes from the earth, all right? The land beast, all right? So these two kind of monster type figures. Now, you need to know, first time here, we don't believe in literal dragons and monsters and so forth. These are are apocalyptic images. They are symbols of, of individuals or movements that we do spiritual battle with, all right, as followers of Jesus. So here we go. Uh, The best way to kind of understand apocalyptic imagery, I think, is actually almost like political or like newspaper cartoons. Here's a couple from World War II. Here's one, uh, freedom is flying into the face of the Nazi beast that's coming. And it's kind of a plane, but it's got the images on it. And it's a very intimidating uh, intimidating figure, but there's, there's this freedom is flying unafraid toward this. I love this imagery. Here's another one. Uh, it's actually, uh, it's this two-headed monster. It's representing the Nazis and the Japanese forces of the Axis powers of World War II. And look what they're doing. They've got this bloody knife in one hand, and they're grabbing the Statue of Liberty, this, this, uh, this symbol of our freedom in another hand, And then there's this, how are we going to defeat this? Well, one way is this monster that stops at nothing, produced to the limit, this is your war. So the image of the wrench coming after this uh, this beast that's coming after. These images, we understand they're not literal. We understand, but they represent real movements and real people. And that's the same way the book of Revelation does it. In fact, these images that I just showed you are probably actually inspired by the book of Revelation. Okay, that's where they came from, all right? In Revelation, um, we come to the symbolic apocalyptic images and they communicate three things to us almost all the way through the book of Revelation. They communicate historic realities, future events, and spiritual truths. Historical realities, spiritual uh, future events, and spiritual truths. So let's, let's just look at each one of those quickly for where we're going today with these, uh, this dragon and these two beasts, okay? The first historical reality that these images are going to communicate to us is that the Roman Empire, the beast, dominated everything in the first century, and they persecuted the church. So as an historical reality, the people who read this the first time are probably thinking of Rome. And they're not wrong, because Rome was a beast. 
It persecuted, killed the uh, people in the church. It, it tried to stamp out the church. was not successful. But it was a beast of a time. And they weren't wrong, but it isn't just Rome. It's Rome and other movements and kingdoms that follow. All right. Then there's the future events. I, I do believe that these images that we're seeing in the book of Revelation, in this chapter, depict uh, some things that will happen in the last, last days. They, it will depict an unholy trinity, this dragon, beast, and beast, which are Satan, who is the powerful adversary behind all the opposition to Jesus and his church. There is the second, uh, that he kind of is the counterpart or the counterfeit of the Father in heaven. And then there's the beast, the first beast from the sea, and the the other scriptures uh, in the New Testament call this the Antichrist or the Antichrist, a ruler who sets himself up as God. And then there's a third uh, personage, and that is the, the, the beast from the, the land, and this is the false prophet. He's called that later in the book of Revelation. And this is kind of a propaganda minister, kind of a, a, a figure of false religion that comes in the last, last days to lead in an intensified persecution and tribulation time for the people of God. So that's the future events it depicts. And we're going to talk a lot more about that, that aspect of it in Digging Deeper. So this is coming a week from this coming Monday night, a week from then, August 29th in the chapel. We're going to talk about the beasts, the redeemed, three angels, and the final harvest, Revelation 13, 14. So if you want to focus on that future stuff, definitely come out on August 29th. But today, our, our, the third thing it represents, and today our focus is going to be on spiritual truths. You see, the spiritual truth that Revelation 13 brings to us is this, that a battle rages for the loyalty of every human heart. A battle is going on in your heart and in my heart and in every human heart on earth that wants to capture our loyalty, that wants to capture our worship. And there's, on the one hand, the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then there is an unholy trinity, which we will meet in Revelation 13, that is competing. It's a counterfeit. It's, 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 a, it's a freak uh, imposter, but it, it competes for our allegiance, our worship, our loyalty. And this happens not just in the future. It certainly will in the last, last days, intensified. But it happens every day of our lives, and it's happened for the last 2,000 years in the history of the church. So let's take to these spiritual truths. I'm reminded... Uh, in uh, John, who is the uh, one that received this vision, the book of Revelation, and gives it to us from the island of Patmos. He also wrote a letter, uh, actually three, but in 1 John he wrote, And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. We're in the last era of human history. Uh, you know, and, and it's wrapped up when Jesus returns. And he says there's an Antichrist, capital A, Antichrist, that like final rebellious, demonic figure. But even now many antichrists have come. There's many anti-Christian forces. There's many things that are competing for our allegiance, our loyalty, that should belong only to God. And it's competing for that. And it's tempting us and, and drawing us in and deceiving people. So that's what we're going to look at today. So, we could spend all of our time trying to decipher codes in the book of Revelation, uh, making charts and timelines like this one, or like this one, or like this one. Okay, we could do that and making speculative predictions about the identity of the Antichrist, become preppers, start hoarding and stockpiling like doomsday extremists. Or we can learn the spiritual truths that God wants us to learn about the battle 
um, within each one of us and in, the, in our world and become strong in our faith. Hey, we will get into some of those details, you know, uh, in our Digging Deeper session. But you can easily miss the forest for the trees. And Revelation is about becoming faith strong. It is about maintaining our loyalty and allegiance to Jesus in every age, in these days, in the last days, and in the last, last age, days. And now is a very good time to start to learn how to become faith strong. I was reminded of this, of this past week I was um, actually playing golf up in Johnston, and I, I seldom play golf, but we noticed there was this helicopter that was over by Camp Dodge, and there was a, a person dangling uh, by a rope. This is not an actual photograph, okay, but it was just like this, okay? And we're like, what's going on there? Well, it's obviously a training exercise. So, and I said to somebody, I said, you probably don't want to be doing this for the first time in Iraq or Afghanistan. You want to have practiced this somewhere else before the real battle happens. And today, that's what we're talking about. We're saying, hey, let's get strong now. So no matter what comes our way over the course of our lives, we're strong in the faith. We're ready to go. So this is a time where we get strong, we get fit in our faith and in our souls. So first, listen to the word of God. Uh, end of chapter 12, verse 18. The dragon, that figure of Satan symbolically, stood on the sand of the sea. He's just kind of watching over all this. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, and on its horns were ten crowns, and on its heads were blasphemous names. Now Daniel chapter 7, if you read it, you're going to see all these images coming up. And, and John kind of takes them, combines them into a composite, adds a few of his own from the first century, and out you come with this hideous creature is kind of terrifying but also incredibly ugly and and what John is trying to do is to get us to understand the nature of spiritual battle and their true realities the true um, identities they look so attractive but in reality they're really really ugly and this beast is what will play, say, uh, be called in other parts of the Bible the Antichrist this is a, a, a a figure in the last, last days, but it's also, there's beasts of all times. There's been beasts like this that are kind of counterfeit um, Christs. They, they, they pretend to be powerful and important. They want everyone to worship them, but um, they're not true. They're, they're, they're fake, all right? And they, and they blaspheme the name of Jesus. There's a lot of power shown. You've got crowns, you've got heads, you've got horns, you've got all these symbols of power and authority, but but there, it's blasphemy. It denies Jesus. That's the Antichrist. The, the, the beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. These are, these are images uh, that help us to know its fierceness and its speed and deception. The dragon, that's Satan, gave the beast, this deceiver, his power, his throne, and great authority. So that, that's where it all comes from. It's all satanic behind it. And one of its heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. So even in this, the imagery anyway, I don't know what it, the reality of it is, but the imagery is it's, it's kind of like a fake resurrection. Like Jesus suffered, died, and then rose again. Well, this one kind of looks like it sort of died, and it's now healed. So it's faking. It's, it's counterfeit Christianity. It's counterfeit religion. It's counterfeit God. The whole earth was amazed. I mean, people were really impressed and followed the beast they worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he gave authority to the beast, this powerful force. And they worshiped the beast saying, who's like the beast? I mean, and that's an echo of Psalm, who is like the Lord. But they're saying, who's like the beast? Who's like this important figure? Who is able to wage war against it? So powerful, you can't possibly oppose it. 
Here's the principle. Very symbolic uh, imagery. The principle is this. Learn that counterfeit gods abound. They're all around us. And the world follows. Now, guys, you don't have to go to the last, last days and wait for some one antichrist figure. There's all sorts of things that lead us astray. Sometimes governments take on the role and they think they're God, right? we got all sorts of totalitarian regimes that require all sorts of things from people. They think they're God. They're beasts. We've got sometimes where, where uh, other movements can become beast-like. Anything that says we're, we don't, we're not accountable to God, we're over God, or God doesn't exist, or denies God, or sets itself up above God, those are all beasts. They don't become more generous and kind. They become beast-like. And although many people in the culture will be attracted to them, their ultimate goal is to control them. That's what Satan does. There are temptations that come our way. There's whole industries luring people away. Porn and, and, and violence and greed and lust and all this stuff that just lures us away. They're beasts. There's entire industries based on this. Um, and then there's things that we face, just uh, there's, there's, uh, there's people in our lives, there's leaders that, that are very anti-Christian um, all over the world. And, and, and they're just very authoritative. And a lot of people follow them. They can be very popular. They can polish their images, but they're really not good. And what we need to learn is that, look, counterfeit gods are all around us and the world follows. The world's just going to fall in line to that. We, however, need to understand that if there's a denial of Jesus, if it's like Jesus is false, if there's blasphemy against Jesus, it's just false. It's just not true. Bottom line, the question is, do they deny Jesus Christ? And, and they may be disinterested, but do they deny Jesus Christ? That's, uh, that's when those movements become beast-like. And then it says, the beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. So big talk, lots of, lots of uh, talking here. Uh, it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So sh- the church is encouraged here. It's not going to be forever. You're not going to have to deal with this for a long, long time. But there's going to be a limit to the, the time. It was allowed to exercise authority. It began to bla- its blasphemies, speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. It speaks against God denounces God. We've seen this throughout history. Totalitarian regimes that, that say God doesn't exist. God is real. Oh, I'm God. Cult leaders, heretics, all sorts of people that, that uh, go against God. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints. That's us. That's the people of God. And to conquer them. N- not that we, that we deny our faith, but to overcome us. To, some people are ki- Christians are killed. Some believers are killed. Uh, it was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. In the last, last days, we're going to see this intensify, and it becomes global. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of the, lo- of the life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. So God has this book, and if you've trusted in Jesus, your name's in that book. So you don't need to be afraid. He's secured you through his uh, Holy Spirit and by the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's going to be a lot of people they're led astray. They go after the counterfeit gods. They, they believe the, the gods of greed or money or power or influence or, or this person is going to deliver to us. Sometimes cultural influencers become, uh, become very authoritative and, and they, they blaspheme the name of God. And there's people that just fall in line with that and they just go along with it. Um, and they could be super popular. Everybody, it says everyone, except those who are faithful to Jesus. Everybody, you're, you're, you're a minority. 
And it's tough. It is tough. Because they're super popular. Now, I want you to go back to the first century for a minute. There's got seven churches. They're this little tiny group of churches amongst millions of people who don't believe in Jesus. They believe in pagan gods. They believe the emperor is God. And they're just beat down. And they've been, they're outcasts. They are hated, excluded, maligned, insulted, demeaned, persecuted, but they're faithful to Jesus. And what the book of Revelation is saying to us is, that's the normal Christian life. We live in kind of a pocket of history and in our land that we've been so blessed by and with a Judeo-Christian heritage, but we've lived in this unusual pocket of history and geography where we've grown accustomed to our faith, our Christian faith particularly, being respected, sometimes accepted, and even protected by law. But that's not the reality that a lot of Christians around the world live with. And we need to pour out our hearts to our persecuted brothers and sisters. And that's not the reality historically either of the church. We need to know that the, you know, what we enjoy will not necessarily always be the case. And we can do what we can to protect that. But ultimately, this is kind of the norm, is that you're in the minority. So here's what the second principle is. We should anticipate hostility toward your faith. You know, I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus, and, I, and I, I got serious about my faith, and I was so excited, I had so much joy and love in my heart, and I started sharing. I was I, like an animal led about cages, I was like sharing with all the, everybody. I was happy, happy guy. And I thought just everybody would be like, woohoo, this is awesome, this is amazing. And some people just thought I was a weirdo. And there was a lot of people that really turned off. And then what I wasn't expecting was the huge pushback and the hostility toward it. I think, I'm just following Jesus. Why are you so mad? And I was respectful, but there was still hostility. And, and it was as a new follower of Jesus that I came to this, you know, I was a little older and wiser in the faith, that sometimes you're going to get some pushback. And sometimes that pushback re is really, really hard. Not everybody is always going to just love you because you're a follower of Jesus. He said, Jesus said, they hated me. He's the son of God. He, he never did anything wrong. He's pure love and holiness and people hated him. They killed him. So he says, they hated me, they'll hate you too. We follow Jesus. Sometimes people just irrationally oppose us. Uh, sometimes that's subtle, but sometimes, as in this case, it's not. Just make sure that the reason, if they ever do have hostility toward you, the reason they hate you isn't because you're an obnoxious jerk. It's because you're a faithful follower of Jesus and you're living for him. That's okay. Jesus promised in this world you will have tribulation. It's going to be tough sledding sometimes. Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you really want to follow Jesus, sometimes you're going to have to have some heat, some heat in the kitchen, all right? And then he says, verse 9, and if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Listen, if you're, if you're listening. He says, if anyone is to be taken captive, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. What's this saying? This is very sobering, but it's a reality for a lot of our brothers and sisters around the globe. What he's saying here is that it might be God's will for you to be imprisoned for your faith or to be executed. Over and over again in this passage, um, you get these phrases, it is permitted, it is allowed, there's evil in the world. And for God's own, in his wisdom and providence, and that's another topic altogether, but he allows this fierce battle to rage until he finally uh, puts it to an end. 
But in the midst of that, there are some people who are going to have to pay the ultimate price. Some people are going to be put in prison. This happened, has happened throughout the history of the church. And it's just something that we need to know. And for us to do that, we can resist the devil, it says, and he will flee from us. We resist with the armor of God, with faith, with salvation, with love, with hope, and with truth and righteousness. We do all those things, but we don't use the weapons that Satan uses. We don't use the weapons of the beast, right? And so sometimes it takes the ultimate price. When you're facing difficulty, when you're facing the spiritual heat, when you're facing the hostility, how do you respond to that? He says, your role is to endure, to push through it, and to be faithful to Jesus. Here's the great thing about all this this eschatology, the study of the end times. Uh, That's what that means. Eschaton means end. The study of the end times um, is that a lot of people get just caught up in all the details of it. And they're super interesting, I'll admit. But here's what I learned a long time ago. I'm not on the planning committee. I'm on the welcoming committee. I, I I don't have to figure this all out. I don't have to know every detail that's going to happen. I don't have to have my charts and graphs and so forth all perfectly figured out. I just need to be ready and and welcome Jesus when he returns. And what that means for me and for you is endure, persevere. Um, You see, spiritual hype and spiritual adrenaline get excited every once in a while. That's not going to take it through. You're going to have to learn to be able to have some spiritual fitness and strength through the long, slow progression of spiritual maturity, of walking with Jesus day by day in obedience. That's how you endure. Just like anything, running a race. You don't just get up and endure. You have to train for that. In the same way, faithfulness. Faithfulness means to be ultimately committed to the truth of Jesus, and not just intellectually and academically, but truly lived out in our lives. Definitely theological, but it's so much more than that. And this is not caving to all the whims and all the trends of culture. When something suddenly becomes popular and there's immense pressure to go along, to conform with the spirit of the age. Nope. Because your ultimate faithfulness and your ultimate loyalty is to Jesus. You'll never go against what Jesus says. Even if, if millions of people, even if it costs you your job, no matter what, you're faithful to Jesus, right? That's what he's saying here. The seven churches were feeling the pressure. And, and we feel that same pressure sometimes. And as culture sometimes becomes more hostile, we need to learn this third, third principle. We have to embrace the call of ultimate and daily loyalty to Jesus. You know, some people say, I, I, I'll die, I would die for Jesus if it came to that. But the question is, are you going to live for him today? Is there going to be that daily loyalty? Because most of us are never going to be you know, put on a stake to be burnt alive. And that's not going to be the outcome of most people's lives. But there is going to be little tests and compromises and temptations that are come our way. And how are we going to, are we going to follow the beast and the, and, the, and the spirit of the age and just kind of go along? Or are we going to say, no, I've got to follow Jesus in this. I've got to be faithful to him. I've got, got to resist those temptations. How do you do that? Let me give you just real th- three little traits and practices that I think need to be woven into our lives, not as a tack on and not at the last minute in a crisis, but daily we're developing these three strengths that will be woven into our character to give us endurance and faithfulness. Very quickly, first one is our life ambition. Pursue Christ-likeness. The number one goal of your life is to become like Jesus. If that is really the ambition of your life, if that's the arc and the compass and true north, 
you're going to be in good state to endure and to be faithful because you've already decided that. You've pre-decided before you get into any situations, my ultimate goal is Christ-likeness. Second thing is spiritual habits like prayer and like worship. You say, I don't know how to pray. Okay, you say, God, I I don't know how to pray. Um, Help me be able to do this. Look at you, you just prayed a prayer. I don't know how to do this. Lord, help me. That's a prayer. That's all I'm talking about. Start praying like that. Having conversations with God. Forget all the these and the thous and getting it all right and quoting King James, you know, Leviticus. Just start talking to God. And in worship, yes, it is that daily, uh, or excuse me, weekly a habit of gathering with God's people. But it's so much more than that. It's just uh, communing with God and giving him praise and thanksgiving for all that he's done. Make that the habit of your everyday life to Enter into the presence of God with just words of thanks and praise to him. Make it that you're, you're, you're breathing um, and, it, and many times throughout the course of the day. And that becomes a rhythm that develops spiritual strength. You become faith strong. And then the third one is a practice love and generosity, faithfulness, forgiveness, serving, befriending people, sharing the good news of Jesus. In other words, just take what you know and put it into practice. It's as simple as that. Take whatever you learned today and just put it into practice tomorrow or this afternoon or whenever. All right? So that's, that's, that's what I got for you here. Pursue Christ-likeness, develop some good spiritual habits, and put into practice what you know is true, what you learned today. And you're well on your way to live in a life of endurance and faithfulness. Okay, let's keep going. Next uh, scene here. Scene two is not the beast from the sea, but the beast from the earth. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. So it's got the authority. It looks kind of like the lamb, like the lamb of God, kind of like the lamb of God, like Jesus, but it spoke like a dragon. Because I kind of faking us out here, trying to look holy and religious and everything, but really it's all Satan talk. And sometimes it's subtle. It's not like, we hate Jesus. It's just stuff that denies the word of God, that undermines the authority of scripture, that looks religious and looks spiritual, but actually it's satanic. It's, it's not from Jesus. Um, it says he, 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 he had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. So it's like the propaganda machine of this, uh, of this, um, of this first beast. Uh, the Antichrist figure or anti-Christian figure uh, and, and, and compels the, the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed, that's imposter. It performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of all the people. So there's some, there's some historical realities, there's some future events. We'll talk about those in Digging Deeper. But here's the spiritual truth, that there will always be false teaching. There will always be false prophets. There will always be people who take up the mantle and they sound spiritual, but they're actually denying Jesus because they're not teaching the faithful word of God. They're not teaching what Jesus taught. They're not teaching, teaching what Moses and the prophets and the apostles and Jesus taught. Um, and they impersonate Christ. And they are bad imitations of Jesus. And they show off proudly. And they have a lot of impressive accomplishments. Some of them, at times, even miraculous abilities. But it doesn't matter. Verse 14, it, this beast, deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So it's doing everything it can to promote the agenda of that first beast. And just like anything, we're going to keep talking about this, it's kind of like um, this spiritual 
uh, veneer, but really just promoting stuff that denies who Jesus is. I mean, the, the first century people were definitely dealing with this. I mean, they had false gods and goddesses all around them that were constantly impersonating uh, religious stuff. It was all false. And nobody believes that stuff anymore. And, and believe me, today our idols, gods and goddesses look different. And there's greed and lust and, and, and power and, and people who think they're God and, and, and all this kind of stuff's going on. They're, they're, it's the same things that it works. The same gods and goddesses that have always been around. And here's the principle, number four. Know the tactics of the enemy. He loves deception and power. First he tries to trick people, fool people, deceive people, slyly, cleverly, looks really good sometimes, but it's not true. It leads people to their deaths. It leads people to destruction. It leads people apart from God for eternity. But that's the first uh, tactic, is deception. Um, but if that doesn't work, then we just go with brute force. We go with power. We're going to use authority to make you uh, try to conform. So know that tactic. The seven churches, again, um, they were experiencing this. They knew about the power of the emperor and the power about all the false religion and priests that were coming after them to say, you need to worship the emperor, you need to follow the way, the spirit of the age, you need to deny Jesus. And in our own day, we have those temptations ourselves. And sometimes they're very subtle. But you, you get faith strong so that um, when the day comes, when there's some pressure that comes, you're okay. All right, verse 15. And it was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Here's where it gets really extreme. People are falling all over themselves in the world to worship uh, this, this antichrist. And worship is attention, by the way. It's just paying attention. Um, but the people of Jesus, they say, no, we're not going along. And so they just do away with them. And this has happened many times throughout history. They just execute Christians. They put them to death. They behead them, burn them at the stake, whatever, because they won't go along. Verse 16. And it makes everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of its name. All right? Now, for sure this is going to intensify, and this is describing stuff in the last, last days. But there's always, I think here, buying and selling, on. there's always economic forces at work that seek to force people into their way of thinking. There's bribery. There, there's corruption. There's, uh, there's, there's discrimination. There's pressure. There's, there's all sorts of things that happen that try to use money and power to, to get people to follow their way of thinking, which is opposed to Jesus. So here's the fifth principle. We need to fortify ourselves against the pressure to conform and to compromise. And we say, we're not going to go there. Uh, we fortify, we strengthen spiritually so that we're, we're not going to conform when the pressure comes our way. Um, now, we'll talk about this a lot more in digging deeper, but this, this mark of the beast has been, there has been so much ink spilled on that. There have been so many books scholarly, academic, popular fiction books. I mean, there's a whole industry just about the mark of the beast. Well, guys, here's what i got to say to you. Um, it's interesting to me. Uh, some people say, is the mark of the beast symbolic or is it literal? Is it going to be something literal on people's hands and forehead or whatever? You know, here's the interesting thing is, I think there's a lot of inconsistency in interpreters when they come to this passage. Because for sure, there's not an actual sea monster. And for sure, there's not an actual dragon. And for sure, there's not an actual beast coming across the land. But the mark of the beast, that's for sure literal. 
And there's an inconsistency to that. So I think it's very likely that this also is a symbol. Uh, and it's, of, it's on the hand or on the forehead, because the forehead is like, this is who you are. This is your face. This is, this is your character. This is your identity. This is your mindset. This is your worldview. And your hand is, is symbolic of how you live your life, what you do, what your actions are, behavior, your conduct. And people who go along with their lifestyle and with their worldview, they're following the ways of the beats. That marks them. It is their character. It's the way they are. Whether there's going to be a literal mark, I don't know. I kind of think this is symbolic. But, you know, that's for another day to discuss. But what it's saying here is if you follow the ways of the world, if you're not serious about following Jesus, instead of your life is marked by these ways, you already got the mark. I mean, you're just, you're just following uh, you're conforming uh, to the ways of the world. So instead, what we want to embrace is the seal of Jesus Christ, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the mark that God puts us on is on our lives, which is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and love and truth. That's what we want. Verse 18 says, and we land the plane here, this calls for wisdom. That might be the understatement of the century. <laughs> you know, guys, we got to be smart as we live our Christian lives. We need wisdom from above. Wisdom is really seeing things and people from God's perspective. And wisdom is the practical knowledge of how to live a godly life. This calls for wisdom. There's so much imagery here. You don't have to have all that. You don't have to understand everything that we talked about today. But what we really need is wisdom from God. And here's a beautiful thing. God says, if you ask for wisdom, I'll give it to you freely. I, I, you ask me for wisdom, I'll always give you loads of it, tons of it. Just keep seeking me for wisdom and you'll be able to see how all these things around us um, can, can lure us away from loyalty to Jesus. Now guys, as I've said in the last weekend, I said, you know, there, there's, there's extremes you can go to here. Some people are just obsessed by this stuff and they get all on, they, try, they have their charts and their graphs and their preppers and their extremists and everything's the antichrist and they're just convinced that every single possible thing is, is satanic and so forth. They're obsessed with it. We don't want to go to that extreme. On the other hand, there's another extreme where people are just oblivious. They're not aware of the spiritual forces that are at work in our world to take us away from loyalty to Jesus and they're, they're just blind to it. And in the middle of rather than being obsessed or being oblivious is being observant. Wake up. Learn some wisdom here. Watch what you're doing. Watch your life. Read the Bible. Search the scriptures. Follow Jesus. Listen to what you're being taught in the scriptures. Follow that daily. Calls for wisdom. And then he ends it with saying, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it's the, no, it's the number of a person. It's number 666. We'll talk about this in Digging Deeper. Uh, a lot of people have suggested that this is some connection to Nero, who was an emperor that persecuted the, the church, and his number, his name, if you, uh, the, the letters of his name, if they're attached numbers to them, which is a common practice in the ancient world, adds up to 666. I'm not really sure that's right. Uh, it's possible that that's true. Um, but I think instead, it, it's, it's simpler than that, actually. And we don't have to decode it and figure out which emperor it is, or who it is going to be in the future, or who it is now, or whatever. I think it's much simpler than this. Okay, seven in the scripture, and in, especially in Revelation, is the number of completeness. It's perfection. It's completeness. And six is less than seven. It's one less than seven. You think, yeah, duh. Yeah. Thanks, Pastor. Really insightful. 
No, six is one less than seven. In other words, it's almost seven. It almost gets you there. There's a closeness to it. It pretends to be almost a seven. It's this counterfeit, false, deceptive, temptation, people, movements that lead us astray. 666 is like triple, complete imperfection. 777 is who God is. He is the perfect one. 666 is trying to imitate God. It is anybody, any movement, anything, any cult, any heretic, any, any, any uh, government that thinks it's God and becomes totalitarian, whatever it is, it's 666. 666 means not God, not God, not God. Not Christ, not Christ, not Christ. Not truth, not truth, not truth. 666 is imperfect, imperfect, imperfect. Incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Fake, fake, fake. Poser, poser, poser. Fraud, fraud, fraud. Man, man, man. Not God, God, God. It's all from this world and from Satan instead of from God. That's what this is about. And so just learn to, to how to see that. Learn how to see stuff that looks pretty good, but actually, if you really look closely, it's, it's a t- complete fake and fraud. And the way you learn that is like the counterfeiters, people that spot counterfeit money, they don't spend all their time studying counterfeits. They study the real thing so that when they see a counterfeit, it's instantly recognizable. That's why we dig deeper into the Word of God. That's why we learn the ways of, of the Bible, the word ways of Jesus. This calls for wisdom. Figure it out, he's saying. Calculate it, figure it out. Here's the sixth principle and last one for today. Develop biblical and spiritual street smarts. Just get smart about this. Just get wisdom from God. Become discerning and thoughtful and inquire of God and pray over things and learn about things and slow down and take time and don't get swept up in just whatever's popular or trendy or whatever or what everybody's telling you. Don't be a dupe. Don't go along with every last little tweet. But ask yourself, did Jesus teach this? Did Jesus live this? You know, there's people in all kinds of perspectives, politically and culturally and so forth. I love what Matt Chandler said about this. He said, you know, the left, the left is correct up to a point, and then they follow the dragon. And the right is correct up to a point, and then they follow the dragon. There's always error that can easily creep in. So we need to be careful not to to just go along with tribes or our worldviews or our favorite news feed or whatever. Instead, we need to faithfully come back to the scriptures and saying, is this what the church has believed and taught for 2,000 years? So we quit following our favorite news feed or our, our favorite cultural influencer and instead we follow Jesus. We say he's Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's it. This passage has had a lot of symbolism in it, a lot of hard-to-understand stuff. I get it. And if it's your first time with us, yeah, God bless you for sticking with us. You have some endurance and faithfulness there. Um, but I love what it says. In spite of all this, we only get two calls. Really call to action. There's really two in this. In verse 10, you get all this other imagery and all these things that are happening. It says, this calls for endurance and faithfulness. And in verse 18 says, this calls for wisdom. So let's simplify what it means to be faith strong. Let's, let's, let's bring it down. 
and just say, let's be enduring, let's persevere in our faith, let's go the distance, let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's be faithful to Jesus. Let's follow in his path and in his word. And let's be wise. Let's develop the ability to discern truth from error, good from evil, and walk with Jesus every day. Can you you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this incredibly powerful passage. A lot here, a lot of things that are sort of hard to understand. But God, help the main things, which are the plain things, ring true. And help them just to be embedded in our hearts, to, be, to have endurance, to have faithfulness, and to be wise. Help us to be those things, Jesus. And uh, help us not to, to be duped uh, and, and follow the ways of this world, however attractive it may seem. But instead, in the end, the beauty and the glory, they all belong to Jesus. And you hold eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And everybody agreed and said, amen, amen. God bless you all.